Silence. I was gonna say no, no, no pre-show banter. What is this? This can't be. It's your obligation to initiate the pre-show banter. So, I just comment accordingly. Oh, okay. So, so I got yelled at by a meth addict at work today, and uh, my first response was, "We should take her cat and beat it against the hood of her car in front of her." That's definitely not how you felt. That's a lie. That's you exactly like how animals. I felt. I'm, That's a lie. You like I'm animals. trying to be more open and honest on the podcast. You probably thought about beating her against the wall with the cat. Yeah, by the tail. Meow. Like every time it threw out its scary claws. That's in claws. stitches, isn't it? Probably. Isn't there? I'm a hack. What can I say? Yeah. Even with my violence, yeah. I'm filled with you hackery. Unoriginal. I know. It's fuck. I can't like even. Like this movie. I can't even get the bottle cap open. Why do I work? Why am I not homeless underneath a bridge, blowing chihuahuas for quarters? To be fair, probably would have been if we hadn't got married. <sighs> It's so likely, yeah, it's likely. I'm, I'm one more fucking mental snap away from joining the poor people hanging out underneath. Not the poor financially, but poor because of their situation. People, and I guess financially, hanging out underneath the bridge. But I'm not doing that today. So here it is, another edition of two, 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 star, 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 two, two, stays, 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 stays. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. This your idea of optimism? Yep. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting mistakes from Abe. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass Kristen Bloom. The, the one who does not beat cats. The one who does not beat swole. cats. I mean, if that's where you want to hang your hat, more power to you. But as I said a second ago, we're doing an addition to Two Star Tuesdays. This week's movie, Lavender 2016. I was say, it's a big, bold prompt. I didn't write it for you this time. They took care of it. <laughs> Yeah, it is not the rom-com TV series. Yeah, it's not the, the Korean television show. <laughs> <laughs> In might case to, you were wondering. Might have to review after seeing this and compare the two. Which one deserved the title Lavender more? <laughs> Judging off, I don't know how it ties to this story very well. Um, probably the Korean, you know, romantic TV show. I offered to watch it with you. You turned <laughs> me down. No, I found a new mafia show. <laughs> we talk about that and does not talk about that. No, this. I have some okay things to say <laughs> um so this got a critic score on rotten tomatoes of 36 percent mm-hmm. an audience score of 26 percent imdb was a bit more generous with that 5.4 where do you throw it ah uh, if i'm gonna mm, i'm gonna go by imdb rating i would go with just a solid four i think or maybe a 3.5 wow um I like see and my problem like I I did the notes for this today yeah. um at work and like my problem with this movie isn't necessarily the idea behind the movie it's the execution of the movie and I think that's why I feel like I would rate it as high as a 4 because I feel like it had a lot of potential that just mm. flops. Well, I think most of these films that we watch they have a lot of potential either in the story making or in in the directing. Um and most of them flop. That's how they wound up here. <laughs> but this one, for me, the issue is it's seriously in the pacing. Is you have a strong open of fifteen minutes and a strong close of fifteen close-ish. minutes. Yeah, the close ish. 
And that whole hour and 10 minutes that sits in the middle of this film is just, what are you doing? But we'll get to it. Uh, I would, would put it, it at 25% audience score Ooh. on the um, so even lower Rotten than what Tomatoes. They gave it. One point lower than what the audience thought about it is what I think about this. Aw. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, this was directed by Ed Gass Donnelly. Um, had not really done anything at all that I was familiar with. It was written by both Colin Frizzell and Ed Gass Donnelly. Fun fact about Colin, he had never been credited on IMDb for writing anything besides this movie. Wow, so opening so, credit. This may be the one and only movie he's ever written, hmm. unless he never got credited for anything else he did. That's interesting. <laughs> so maybe that's part of the reason it's a little rough around the edges, because he's the main writer <laughs> on this. Seeing he... as it was directed and produced by uh, Ed Gastonelli, there's a solid chance it was kind of like the room scenario, where it's like, I've got the money and you technically have a story. Uh, I'm going to credit the second production company just because I like the name of it. Three-Legged Dog Films. That's a solid fucking name. I have no idea what they've ever done because there was no link for me to click on. (laughs) But it was distributed by Samuel Goldwyn Films. Mm -hmm. And I have not seen this movie, but it is definitely high up on the movies I want to watch. They also distributed The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Never heard of that. There you have it's the... um, Oh, fuck, now I've blinked on his name. Ben Stiller movie where he like has the boring day job and he has these daydreams about this fantasy, fantiful, fantas, fanciful, fanciful. There you go. That's a word. <laughs> <laughs> that exists. <laughs> I've been at work all day. This fanciful life he wants to live, and he ends up going on an adventure for something for work and like learns to like go after the things that he wants. It looks amazing. The trailer looks so good, and I've heard good things about it. It does not even sound vaguely familiar. We've talked about it before, because I've told you before how bad I want to watch it, so we need to watch it. Okay. I thought you were going to tell me it was the Stephen Carell film where he's making all the the dolls in this, but I really want to see that one as well. I don't remember what that one's called, but that one does look fun, too. Um, Fun facts for you. Fun fact time! Fun facts. Um... Oh, shoot. It's not on the back of this. Oh, it's on the back of this. Notes everywhere. Uh, The fairy song that they sing, which may be where the name of this movie comes from, is actually a real nursery rhyme called Lavender's Blue. Hmm. So the little dilly-dilly song that they sing is a nursery rhyme called Lavender's Blue. So Interesting. that, I suppose, answers the name of this movie because we were like, where the fuck did the name Lavender come from? (laughs) So next time, do the one about Ring Around the Posy, called the movie Ring Around the Posy, <laughs> and then I'll know what you're alluding to. But I'm not familiar with the, na- the Lavender Nursery Rhyme. And then there was uh, both a flub and a trivia on the IMDb. So apparently the family dies in 1985, but at the end of the movie, when she goes to visit the grave, the death is uh, 1986. So that's wow. a flub in the movie. They could not keep track of when they killed off the that main is family. easily avoidable. Yep. And um, I did not do any research into this whatsoever. It was just on the IMDb trivia, so it could totally be completely made up. I have no idea. But it sounded fun. So um, whenever uh, the main character gets put in the hospital for a little bit, like I guess in the background, there's like someone over the intercom doing like a a hospital announcement. And it's uh, for a Dr. Blair. Apparently, the announcement that's playing in the background is the same announcement that was used in 1985's 
oh gosh, I'm gonna butcher the musician's name. Quinn's Wrench. I have no uh, idea. Yep, clear as mud. Uh, <laughs> uh, the album's called Operation Mind Crime. It says in the movie, the tragic event in the past is in 1985. The main character has memory loss. A plot point involves remembering the past. The first line from the protagonist in Operation Mind Crime is, I remember now. Although it could be a coincidence, it's compelling. <clears throat> so, fun facts for you. <laughs> uh, That's a deep dive. That guy was really hoping two people found that out and he's happy every day that somebody did. And now everybody who listens to our podcast knows. All five of you. Yep. You're welcome. I hope Bangladesh is doing good. Uh, could not find... <laughs> could not find a budget on this. Uh, and there wasn't like a fun little hilarious critic consensus to read to either. So I'm assuming not a lot of people have watched this movie. But it does say here it went to Tribeca. Yep. It does. Uh, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean it did well at Tribeca. <laughs> but, but it did technically did make it into Tribeca, which is our one of our goals for yeah. the year. Not necessarily Tribeca, but a film festival. So I can give them an award for getting to Tribeca. Yep, I've been rejected by the Nashville Film Festival, so you're doing better than me. <laughs> uh, you want to do the cast list? Uh-huh. I'm going to let Brett take over this part because I suck at names. So the first person we have is Abby Cornish. She plays Jane. That's our main protagonist. Um, fun fact about Abby Cornish. I, I think she was Australian. I don't remember offhand what her ethnicity was. She was in the movie Limitless. You and yeah, I watched I, that I liked that a lot. Yeah. Uh, side fun fact about Abby, she is also a rapper, and her rap name is Dusk. No shit. No shit. A white female Australian rapper. Yeah, I think she's Australian. I could be misremembering she that. She should but stick to film. You've not even heard her rap. <laughs> she could be good at it. But uh, her rap name is Dusk. I'm just saying, in the, in, the to- in the totality of rap stars, uh, we have Missy Elliott. <laughs> and like maybe two other people, and they were not white Australian people. Okay, we can give it a go after the show. And the name's white. Yep. She could be bomb at it. Yeah, not Australian. Yeah, well. Grew up in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, well, she could be the bomb. Um, but the Limitless movie. Uh, while I'm thinking about that, there's that TV show that is quickly running out of my mind. Likely just called Limitless, but they did a like two or three seasons of that concept, and I love that concept because in the television show, much like in the movie, he becomes like a junkie to this brain drug, like Adderall-esque type thing that unlocks everything, like Adderall times fucking ten thousand. But um, the, the television show really, really builds, and then you fall in love with the characters, and then it got canceled. So it's one of those oh, ones wow. where you're like, I, what happened to him? Uh, then you've got Diego Klattenhoff, and he plays Alan. Which is the husband character in this. Um, he was in the movie Pacific Rim, which I don't think is a movie you've seen. I've, I've not seen Pacific Rim. Um, but fun action film that he was in. And then you've got Justin Long. Boom, bitch, as Liam. And he is the dead dad. Which we don't um, find out till the end. So yes, well, sorry if we ruined that and yes, you sat through well, all this. You should have watched the fucking movie in advance. <laughs> and he's done tons of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but the one I'm going to credit him for, just because I just found out, and that's a fun fact, he is in F is for Family. He voices yep. Kevin. He's God also in right. New Girl, which we've recently picked up. Yeah, he, he plays one of the boyfriends, right? Mm-hmm. Not the roommates, but one of the like in the yeah. first or second he's the, season. Like musician. Yeah. Guy that's just as quirky and weird as she is. No, I 
I love New Girl. Little fun fact about Brett while you're out <laughs> there in the world. He feels something sometimes. I, I, it's, it's like one of the only like mainstream shows outside of Scrubs in the office where I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I get behind New Girl. I'm for it. Uh, Dermot Mulroney, that's what I'm going to call him, it, it is Patrick. Um, he is the creepy uncle character. Uh, fun fact for Brett, he was in The Purge. Hell fucking yeah. Uh, fun fact for my people who like rom-coms, he was in, it's an older movie, I loved it as a kid, My Best Friend's Wedding. I've seen The Best Julia Friend's Roberts Wedding. Julia Roberts movie. Yeah. And then you got Lola Flannery as uh, Alice. Yeah, she is the daughter to our main character. She was in the TV show The Mist. Hmm. Not the movie, the TV show. And you got Sarah Abbott. As Susie or Abbott? I was going to say that's probably Abbott. Uh, she's uh, the. I heard, yeah, Abbott and Costello. I heard it in my head. Abbott. <laughs> she's the dead little sister, so the little blonde girl that we keep seeing run around everywhere. That's her. Um, she was in an episode of Black Mirror. Hell fucking yeah. yeah. Which we need to go back and watch because I think we did one episode together and I loved it but then every other time we were like do we want to go that dark right now I just kind of don't want to feel those emotions <laughs> but I, I loved the one episode of Black Mirror that we watched and we should find her episode and watch that one um, then we got what, Two Eyes and Lisa Repo Martel as Jennifer um, she played the dead mom character she really hadn't done much of anything I was familiar with so I was just kind of grasping at straws I didn't want to leave her out when I had something for everyone else she was in the TV show Flashpoint it's kind of like those one of those CSI type shows but it's uh, people that kind of do like what you did they go in and de-escalate like hostage situations yeah. so they're the team that goes in and tries to be to... clear that's not a thing I did did that was uh, I, I was certified to do that for my squadron yeah, well, I don't want to make it out like I did that for like four years. It's like all I did was deal with the most dangerous people. It's like, no, I was one of a select few who were trained in that in the event that we needed that yeah. type of shit. I thought you taught people how to do it, too. Yeah, I was certified to train it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, Flashpoint's kind of a TV show like that where it's a team that goes in in hostage situations mm -hmm. and kind of de-escalates. That type of shit. And then you got Peyton Kennedy as Young Jane. And, uh... Jane is the main character, just to kind of clarify who young Jane is. So she plays the childhood version of her when the we one get flashbacks. The one almost gets hit by the car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, she was in uh, Grey's Anatomy. Hmm. I think it was just like an episode or two, but again, I just wanted to, I didn't want to leave her out. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah. You get like an episode of Grey's Anatomy is more than most people get. You know, that's fucking yeah, awesome. Very successful show. So go you guys. You have all done something I know. <laughs> uh, synopsis. What the hell? Uh, we start the movie with a crime scene that's um, supposed to lead us to believe that Jane has basically slaughtered her whole family. Mm -hmm. We flash forward in time and Jane is a very detached but successful photographer. Yeah. Um, definitely emotionally drifting through life, but she's got a husband and she's got a daughter and she is successful. Her works are hanging in galleries, um, has a bit of a breakdown and wrecks mm -hmm. her car. Um, goes to the hospital. Very cool. We'll get to that. <laughs> goes to the hospital. Apparently, the uh, wreck, which didn't really seem to do any damage to her, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, triggered old scars in her brain, which basically gave her very, very temporary amnesia. She briefly forgot who she was. So, in a search to rediscover who she is, she goes back to her childhood home. And starts seeing ghosts of yep. her dead family. And we find out 
Who killed her family? Who was that? We'll get to it. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, that's definitely in my bads. Okay, so uh, where are we going to start here, Kristen? Bloom? Numero uno. Uh, it's a topic we've talked about on our regular show before. Um, opening strong and closing strong. Because yep. you got to grab your audience real quick if you want to keep them. And you got to leave them wanting more. As we say, you got to come in late, get out early. Yeah. Um, very cool opening sequence. Like, we get the initial, the cops show up to the uncle's house, and they're like, oh my god, your brother and his family. And then, instead of just the cops walking through this crime scene, we get this really cool sequence of all these cops frozen mm -hmm. mid-action in this crime scene, and we see little snippets of the bodies and where they're laying, and you don't really get a feel for exactly what happened. It's just the cops in the middle of trying to, like you know, bag up this crime yeah. scene, basically. It's like then... a really interesting take on, like, that viral video shit where mm -hmm. you had to stop moving at a party and then somebody would run around with the camera. It was really well mm -hmm. done. And then uh, it kind of ends on young Jane sitting covered in blood, holding a razor, and then she's the only thing that moves in the whole room. She's mm -hmm. sitting huddled, and then she looks up at the camera, and then, bam, wow. we're in the future. And here we are. So, kick-ass sequence. Like, yeah. I, I really appreciated the time and thought that went into um, the fact that they did it as a freeze-frame sequence. And, like, just the whole her looking up was just kind of a neat shot in general. But it, it is kind of like this really traumatic moment frozen in time that we're only seeing, like, almost like a picture's glance mm -hmm. and then it's gone. And, again, she's a photographer, so the fact that these are still images mm -hmm. of... This childhood trauma that she later can't really remember yeah. what happened is just kind of cool. No, I, I, I like that a lot because as we've talked about on here, when it comes to trauma, which I'm um, a huge proponent of using your art to overcome that, um, they showed it in that way. Like she's never going to forget that one particular moment where she opened her eyes and she's amidst all this chaos and nothing makes sense. And they thrust you into that feeling. Mm -hmm. so beautifully and i like too that i feel like when you go through something that's really traumatic for a lot of people it's probably just kind of flashes of what that event was like i don't think anybody really unless they've mm -hmm. spent a lot of time processing it has like the whole picture very clearly in I their mind i don't think anybody ever gets the whole picture i think yeah. it's seared and flashes and yeah. then you fill in the gaps with fiction yeah know? and like I, I just i don't know like I don't know if it was intentionally used for that purpose, but like I said, the fact that the when we get to see the crime scene initially is a frozen scene, and she is a photographer, and it's just this, like, kind of just brief peek into what happened that night is yeah. really cool. Because it frames her as the bad guy. Yeah. You're like, oh, she's the crazy person, and she kind of comes off as the crazy person, but she wasn't the crazy mm -hmm. person. So, kick-ass opening. Goddamn uh, right. Kick-ass closing. <laughs> Uh, it's not quite the closing. It's, I think there's still 10 minutes left after the That's sequence. right. Because I was like, end here. Just stop. Just, no, just, yeah. just give like it up. It, stop, please. Like, it really should have just ended there. So cool. Yeah. So we come back, basically, to this crime scene yeah. again and, like, get to visualize it in, like, live action, which, again, kind of cool. It's, mm -hmm. like, her finally remembering what's happening and she's getting these, like, weird, desperate like glimpses of kind of the scene around her so um the first person who gets killed is her mother um 
spoiler alert, uh, turns <laughs> out the uncle is uh, raping the children, yeah. and he, I guess, has an affinity specifically for her young sister. Um, and he's trying to rape the little girl, and she's, like, on the bed freaking out, and the mom comes home and hears shit going on upstairs and goes up there, and he knocks her out with something. Is it a baseball bat? No, it's a hammer. She's hitting him with a yeah, hammer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he kind of swings and clubs her with the hammer, and he doesn't intentionally kill her, but I mean... She dies. <laughs> I'm not gonna forgive a, a pedophile for accidentally murdering a lady. <laughs> yeah. That's how John Wayne Gacy's streak started. Hey, you want eggs? Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> and you really liked... Um, so Jane, the younger version of Jane, is hiding under the bed, and... Um, her mother falls, and so she lands pretty much exactly in Jane's field of view, and you really liked that shot, where yeah. the, the blood is just, like, slowly pulling out of her mother's head and closer and closer. Yeah, because it, it, it was so uncomfortable, because the, the, the fault with this film for me, which I'm sure we're going to get to later, is these holding shots that just go on so fucking long, and if they didn't do that throughout the entire movie... The you, level of discomfort that that scene would have brought, where mm-hmm. it's like, it's not stopping, it's coming for her. And to it's, be fair. It's like a, a, a metaphor on the pedophile coming for her, and yeah. the blood, like a loss of innocence, women uh, her age, you know, the blood, the loss of innocence, yeah. again. And to be fair, we just saw <coughs> this movie, it's 2020. Uh, we shot the dolls back in like 2018, but we have a very similar scene in the dolls where, um, the uncle goes into the closet and one of the girls dies. The girl. Yeah. Yeah, And we see this like imagery of the blood slowly creeping across the carpet towards her foot. And then she steps in the blood to have to run away from him. So yeah, like I, cause we've done that ourselves, like really appreciated that moment of like, it's coming for you. And do you sit there? Until the blood reaches you, or do you freak out and run away? Yeah, do you run away from the blood? Do you run through the blood? What does that symbolize? Do you reach out for your dead mother? Yeah. So, yeah, a really cool shot of the mom's death scene. And then my favorite, probably, honestly, is she runs out of the... Bedroom. bedroom grabs a, <laughs> like runs into the bathroom to hide grabs a razor yeah um and the uncle comes and finds her and she's just standing in the shower and like what a badass moment for this little girl like the razor's hidden behind her back and he goes to reach out for her and she slashes him with the razor and then panics and runs and unfortunately yeah. for her her father was passed out uh drunk on the couch downstairs that's the moment he wakes up and tries to come up the stairs to see what's going on she collides with him as she's going to go down the stairs and you have this beautiful slow motion shot of her father falling backwards reaching out for her Mm -hmm. and she reaches out and tries to grab his hand and you see this moment of like his skin like pulling away from her as she's like desperately trying to hold on to him. Almost Lion King but in a murder. (laughs) Yeah and then it like speeds back up as like they've both kind of lost their momentum and he accidentally pulls her down the stairs with him and they both go tumbling down the stairs together and uh, I don't know if she accidentally cut him with a razor or if he just bashed his I head in. I think that's what it was. I think she wound up sticking it in his gut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, there's blood around his head pulling, too. Well, so that, I didn't that, know if... Yeah, that might be from the fall. I might yeah. have dreamt the, the gut wound. But I seem to remember that she accidentally stabbed him on the way down. Yeah, she may ha- maybe she stabbed him as he came up the stairs. Yeah, I feel like I mm-hmm. vaguely remember that, too. So you're probably right. But, like, they hit the bottom of this landing and the dad 
by whatever design is now dead as well and you get that yeah. same kind of cool shot but the daughter's now unconscious of the blood kind of like trickling towards her and you notice that it was like because there's a red balloon at some point yeah in the which movie. i was like that's just a call back to it <laughs> like this <laughs> yeah but the blood because there's uh wooden flooring so mm. the blood starts to pull into the paneling between the wood and like drifting towards her and it is kind of shaped like a red balloon which again don't know if that was intentional or not but really cool really fucking good I have to think in a film that everything is intentional. I can't pretend that it's an accident, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I have accidentally done some cool things well, and yeah, been like, well, that worked out in Everybody <laughs> accidentally does, but when you're, you know, in the editing bay, like, I have a feeling that... You made a conscious that, connection. Yeah, maybe the director didn't intend for it to flow that way. Maybe the writer never wrote that in the script. Maybe the editor just was sitting there going, why do we have this stupid fucking balloon? And then the next day was like, that looks like that stupid fucking... Oh, <laughs> I've got it. Put the balloon shot back in the film. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the final death, which uh, isn't quite as impactful, but still kind of neat in a way, because the uncle um, is trying to rape the young sister, and she's asthmatic, and she starts having an asthma attack. Yeah. Um, the uncle goes back up the stairs to check on the little girl, because she was, I guess, his favorite is kind of the implication. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's already accidentally killed Everybody. the mother. <laughs> yeah, he's inadvertently gotten the father killed. And he goes back up the stairs, and the little girl is suffocated to death, and mm -hmm. she's just laying there dead on the bed. So That was beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more subtle than the death of the parents, but it is still really cool. And he um, steals the hammer from the mother and plants it in the dead father's hands like a coward. But No, it, but I, I think that that's... I, and I didn't notice it while we were watching it, but he wanted to violate her. Like, that was his motivation, you know, like in that particular scene, is he's trying to violate the youngest in the household, mm -hmm. and she's the only one who dies a bloodless death. Yeah. So she's never violated. She's never penetrated, if you will, from yeah. a psychological standpoint. She keeps her chastity she keeps herself she dies i mean probably not <laughs> peaceful you know no, by I'd any degree having a panic really. attack so hard you die is probably not enjoyable in the slightest but she's not you know murdered you know yeah. <laughs> and he gets to live with that memory so i i gives I don't know. I'm on touchy ground here, and you're just staring at me. So I'm listening to you. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, you are. No, I get what he you're saying. He gets to live with the memory of, God help me, this is going to sound super fucked up, never penetrating the one that he loved in that family via knife and yeah, rage like, or in rape. Pure. She dies pure. And he has to live with the guilt of every death that happened because he got caught without what a pedophile would see a satisfaction in yeah. actually getting to touch her. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't catch that in the moment, but that is beautiful yeah. in the writing. Honestly didn't catch that at all, but that's relevant to my next topic because I think there are a lot of deeper themes in this movie mm -hmm. that maybe don't really get delved into. And that's part of the reason, like I said, I would give this movie a four 
out of 10, not yeah. like a 4 out of 100. Um, or a 4 out of 5. <laughs> no, definitely not a 4 out of 5. <laughs> uh, a 4 out of 10, because I, I think there are some kind of heavy, kind of serious, kind of insightful themes that maybe just didn't quite get the care they needed. I think a lot of it comes down to the directing. Like, I, I, I would like to read the script and see if the script... You always blame the director. <laughs> well, I do in this particular one because of the long shots that we'll get to later, but I, I would like to read the script and be like, what was the intention here? Did you take a 90-page script and blow it out into what should have been a 145-page script? Yeah. I Like, to me, it, which it's probably partially... Um, I guess, yeah, if we're going to blame anyone, it's probably the director because he was the director, writer, and producer. To me, I think my problem with this movie is it's both an insightful movie and a haunting movie. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think the script kind of got lost in the middle about whether or not it was a haunting movie or a movie about trauma. So we wasted a lot of screen time focusing on these ghosts. Yeah. um, When we should have been focusing on... Like I said, like there's a lot of like kind of cool themes in this movie yeah. that we don't dive into because we're like, oh, there's a haunting going on too. That's the problem that we have with a lot of haunting films is there's real trauma. And it's like, I don't give a shit about the ghost. Tell me the story about how that person wound up that way. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I want to I wanna dive first into the mother because she is the main character and um, the character dealing with all this trauma and kind of inadvertently causing trauma on other people as a result. Um, I find it really compelling that she's a photographer and they, they do address it to some extent. Like the quote unquote psychiatrist ghost dad figure addresses it with her, I think, because he mentions Mm -hmm. maybe this is why you're fascinated with taking photos of old houses, but, um, and she pulls off the road at a couple of points. Yeah. So we have this, character who went through this really traumatic event who's then put in foster care and we don't on any level get to know her foster family so my assumption would be maybe that was not a close family relationship because she doesn't talk about them we don't in any sense get any kind of indication that they're an active part of her life or her family's life um so like I said, it's an assumption, but my assumption would be maybe the foster family wasn't necessarily a close family for her. So you get this woman who's experienced this traumatic event that she can't remember. The only thing she knows is that her entire family is dead. She's raised by strangers and then basically kind of, in essence, as an adult, abandoned into the world with no one to look out for or take care of her or talk to or relate on that level. Um, so it's, it's compelling to me that she takes photos of these empty, rundown, abandoned houses mm-hmm. and she's fascinated with the story of what might have been and where did these people go and what became of them yeah. because she's so empty herself. She's like, where did my family go and what happened and how did we get here and what's left behind? Mm-hmm. So it's What a is really... the story of this place because she doesn't know the story of herself? Yeah, like it's a really beautiful metaphor of her being just as hollow on the inside as Mm -hmm. these homes that she's fascinated by i really like that my dad used to take pictures of old barns i was trying to tie that together (laughs) (laughs) you know maybe they should have (laughs) met that'd be weird because then we'd be potentially related he's dead so (laughs) <laughs> um, on the flip side, I like the fact that she is so put together at all times. Like, she puts off this very Stepford Wives image. Yeah, which, you pointed that out fast as fuck. Yeah, like, she is 
Which that's kind of the point of the Stepford Wives is they're actually robots or whatever, I think yeah. is the story. Um, but she is this very put-together, pristine-looking exterior that is completely empty on the inside in some scenes. Like, as the movie progresses, she kind of becomes more of a regular person, but... At the beginning of the movie, she always is immaculately dressed, has, like, immaculately done hair, like, very put together, but every conversation she has is, like, awkward and hollow, and, like, you can tell she can't relate. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that was intentional? Oh, or do sure. you th- Okay. For sure. Because they, they show her at the party, and it's part of what I think is so beautiful about the opening sequence of this movie. They show her at the party, the birthday party for her daughter, and she's made her daughter waste this whole day going to these houses to take photos with her and her daughter's like are we done yet are we done yet i'm so bored and then that evening they do her daughter's birthday party and it's like shot like it wasn't like slow-mo but if i'm remembering right it was shot at a slower frame rate and there's this kind of eerie unsettling music going in the background as the daughter's beating the pinata yeah yeah and then um one of the women at the party is like, oh, your husband's so great. You know, it's so great you guys stayed together. And she's like, yeah, well, he's not fucking his co-workers or yeah. whatever. And, and like she passes it off as a joke yeah. and we never examine that ever again. Yeah, but you can tell she's kind of like this disconnected person yeah. on the inside. Like, she, she's not at the party having fun. She's just like, oh, God, we're at this fucking party. This thing. <laughs> There's a beautiful shot later where the pinata the daughter has been beating is hanging by the neck by a thread just swinging in the night like such fucking like beautiful imagery (laughs) (laughs) fucking loved it I'm following you am I running away with this episode sorry no 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 go ahead I'm talking um And I like, too, that the daughter is such a sarcastic, like, dry sense of humor person. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of moments where, like, she tells the dad, the dad's passive-aggressive or whatever. She makes these smart aleck remarks to the mother. And, like, you don't ever really see her daughter as a child. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this was intentional, but to me, the idea that the mother had to grow up so quickly because she went through these awful events and then had to carry that with her into adulthood and again you know if she wasn't close to her foster family had to kind of grow up to be her own person quickly is then treating her young child like an adult instead of like a child so her own child never learns to play or have fun or anything like that and she's kind of molding this young girl into this disconnected adult child yeah no and that hits That hits home perfectly for me, because my my father was raised by a military man who was a lifer. My dad was a lifer. I got out at four, thanks Obama. (laughs) But I was raised on military installations where my dad was constantly deploying because he was special forces. So he would just disappear, and then he would just reappear. And then every time he left, you're the man of the house. And I'd be like, all right, Dad. And then he'd be gone for three months, and then we'd be sitting there watching Fox News, waiting on the little scroller that said, Dad's dead, you know. And then you'd make friends that you could talk to about those sorts of things, and the whole family would pack, move out of town, go to, you know, halfway across the fucking world or halfway across the country, and then you'd redevelop these relationships. In Tennessee, um, when my dad got out, I was in the fifth grade, if I remember correctly. And God help me if I didn't, because I, I know that it's close, 
I believe my dad's discharge date was September 1st, 2001. And ten days later, the fucking world ended. My dad was quote-unquote too old to go back into service. Uh, not because he was screaming at them on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Shortly thereafter, my parents get divorced. Um, and I'm more or less raising my younger brother, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I get that. I don't know, you know, when it comes time for us to have kids, how good of a dad I'm going to be. It's something that scares the shit out of me because I feel like, you know, I, my mother's a great person. My dad was a a, a decent dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I have my concerns in, in that end because it's like I, I, I can get you so far, kid, but like... Um, I get you to like 10, <laughs> you know, and then I just kind of figured it out for myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you, didn't, you and I didn't meet until you were, I think, 25 already or something. 27. 27? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right, because I was like 20. 20. Late 26, or yeah. 27. Yeah, because I was 27, I think. Because I know I that I, Dad had been dead about a year after, until I met you. Yeah. yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, you had already passed your... I think it had been like one and a half years or something like that since he had passed. Um, Grabbing another beer. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> You weren't young by any means when we met. Um, or, I mean, like, you weren't a child. You weren't a child. You weren't a child is what I'm saying. Um, but, yeah, that is one thing that I've always thought about you, that you are super mature. And for anyone that's kind of newer to the podcast, I'm actually older than Brett. <laughs> Yeah, um, bitch. <laughs> by like two Yo and a half. <laughs> by like two and a half years. Um, I'm in my thirties. Brett's still twenty nine. Um, but I don't think anyone ever who has ever been around us would think that. Because no. <laughs> Brett's so mature. I've got the eyes of a fucking forty five year old. <laughs> yeah. I've got old dead eyes that just. <laughs> we literally. Uh, bought alcohol at Walmart one day and they carded both of us and the checkout person was like, oh, who'd have thought she was older? Yeah, it's like, thanks, I've been smoking since I was 12. <laughs> so that is kind of funny. But no, I, th- I think that works, you know, as far as the character goes. She's not empty, maybe a bit detached. Yeah, and she's but not she a bad mother. No, but she would raise, you know, much like my sisters have raised their kids, and their kids look a lot like me, you know, psychologically. Like, they, at a certain extent, raised themselves from a very young age and learned to take care of each other because those are the lessons that you learn in those kinds of situations. To be independent and self-sufficient. Yeah. And, yeah, kind of count on yourself for things that need to get done. Um, it's like dinner needs to happen today. Mom hasn't left her bedroom in a year, so aw. I guess tonight's the night that I learned chicken parmesan. And Kristen's like, why are you so angry, but you're such a good cook? <laughs> um, I weirdly like, too, it's not... Sorry to... No, you're fine. tottle down the sad train. <laughs> we had enough of the sad train on Friday's episode. <laughs> it was an inspirational sad train. Um, I weirdly like to, although this is probably the most underdeveloped of all of these themes, we introduce for some reason her husband is not being a present father or husband. Um, She makes the joke that we never really quite clarify that he's cheated. They definitely had marital problems because the people at the party are like, I'm glad you guys decided to work it out. So my assumption is he did cheat. He he cheated and then 
they've worked it out and yeah. everybody knows there was a big blowout. Yeah. yeah, and then in the initial part of the movie, he seems very frustrated about having to help take care of their daughter. He doesn't want to have to take the daughter to school or pick the daughter up from school. And he he seems to think that his career is significantly more important than his wife's career, even though we never established what his career is. And his wife is a semi-famous photographer. Well, we established that she has a trust fund. So <laughs> and, and we also doesn't seem to ever die. <laughs> and we also, like I said, established she is an accredited photographer. Yeah. She's in galleries. So my assumption would be she is technically She's the, the more successful. Winner. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he's resentful of that or what, but we established up front her husband is a resentful husband and she's resentful of the fact that he's resentful. And then when they, which granted she gets in a car accident and maybe that kind of realigned him. But when we get into the kind of trauma bits, he one eighties into this loving, adoring, caring father and husband who's yeah. confused by his wife's odd behavior. Um, and then at the back end of the movie... He becomes a great dad. Like, they're yeah. going to get in donuts. Yeah. <laughs> but then at the back end of the movie, he bells on his wife so fast. He's like, fuck so you, bitch. Fast. Like, this dude... <laughs> then that, realize you were going to bring all this crazy... Like, this dude who definitely could have shoulder-checked the door open... Yeah. Just pieces out into a stranger's car. Could have climbed daughter. in the open window. He's like, I'm going to trust that random fucking stranger. Yeah. I'm not even going to get the stranger and be like, hey, we need to kick that door down. Yeah. You have a pickup truck. Let's ram the fucking house. Yeah. Fuck all of that. Hops into a stranger's car and Dips drives it. away and doesn't come back until the next morning. <laughs> so he's gone the entire night. Didn't call the cops. Nope. And I like, as absurd as that whole situation is, as uh, that's an absurd setup, and I, I feel like we should have delved into this way more. So. Oh, I, 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 this is the new Mistakes from a podcast. We're not just tearing people down. Yeah. I will point out when you made a ridiculous decision, but I'm not going to rip you apart. Yeah. For... So absurd that we didn't develop this, but in theory, I like the theme of... She has a husband who, when shit gets weird, ditches her. And that's that's a bit yeah. of a ooh thing to say, but like her family ditched her. Exactly. Which technically her family got killed and didn't willingly ditch her. But her family but abandoned a, yeah, her. It's an abandonment at one level or yeah. another. Her family abandoned her. Her uncle did not raise her, thank God for her. Um mm-hmm. And her husband real quickly abandons her. <laughs> he, he gets the fuck out of the way. He's like, I stuck around for all the dumb shit we were doing in the middle of this movie, but there's an old guy who looks like the neighbor from Pet Cemetery, and I'm going to hop right in his fucking <laughs> pickup truck. daughter. Fuck all of this. Having an asthma attack, even though she doesn't have asthma. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after, you know, kind of trashing you there for a minute there, Glenn, um... What I liked early in, especially early in, I feel like they relied too much on it. Do we have any notes on... Okay, we do, on the long shots. Um, But you lose the effect as the movie goes on, but the color balancing on this fucking thing was incredible. At the beginning especially, because you get like one small section of red and then go into a red scene with one small section of lavender and then we go into the lavender scene and it feels like a dance in the color. And I like, for me, I feel like honestly the color kind of 
lends to this idea of her being almost the Stepford wife-esque character, and maybe that's why it falls off of it as the movie wears on. Like, as the movie wears on, it is kind of just a pretty, uh, I guess, quote-unquote horror film. Like, it's, like, very contrasty and kind of just, like, darker and, you know, just kind of a bit more averagely colored but pretty shot as the film wears on. On the front end of the movie... A lot of bright, vibrant, beautiful colors. Pastels, too. Yeah, a lot of pastels. And, like, the music, which the music is overbearing as hell. Yeah, um, works immediately, <laughs> but that much like this film, you know, it's like you you did really good on the front and the back, uh, but the whole middle bit, I don't quit playing the fucking music. Like, I know, yeah. you know, just go, go, go yeah. there, you know? Like, the music is super overbearing, but the music on the front end paired with these really pastel, vibrant mm-hmm. colors, like, the music's kind of eerie and unsettling, and you get this weird, like, scratchy violin sound. Um, kind of sets, again, it kind of encourages the Stepford Wives-esque theme to me, is, like, everything's so pretty and bright and it looks so beautifully put together but there's this like undertone of this violin that's like in the background and you feel like something's wrong even though everything looks like it's okay and then you know like I said there's that scene where the pinata's hanging and that's not really (laughs) it's not really that odd of a thing for the pinata to have not been taken down they got busy they forgot to take it down they'll get it tomorrow morning but the pinata just hanging there in the night sky as this creepy music is playing and you hear very loudly the rope swinging against Mm -hmm. the tree like the pinata's hung itself yeah so like the color balance is like so pretty and pristine and then everything else just feels so uncomfortably wrong yeah and like a good way not a bad way so and that's the aim when you're doing the color balance is to kind of put one thing you know even if you've got you know like a perfect dinner table should you say and we've got this beer bottle that is sat right in the middle of the dinner table for the shot you know and then you move it diagonally four inches off so now it no longer sits perfectly in the shot. It's going to draw the attention. It's going to make you uncomfortable, but immediately you're not going to know why it's making you uncomfortable. Mm. So you can play with the color in a film to create that sense of unease, you know. Yeah. And I, it does fall off as the movie wears on, but beautifully done on the front end and... Maybe it intentionally falls off. Like I said, she kind of comes more into her own as the movie wears on, so she's not really this pristine character anymore as the movie wears on, so maybe that was on purpose. It is a But by the end, we wind up with the beautifully dark color contrast of the... The the, the, The the, blood. The the, the almost purple blood on that shiny hardwood floor, and all the grain in the floor. Like, something smooth moving over that contrast it mm-hmm. texturally and by color you know it is, and it is a i know that's a cliche thing that i say it is a pretty movie like yeah. i cannot fault the cinematography at all it's a pretty movie um a lot of just kind of cool effects in general we already talked about the pinata uh brett's favorite i guess would probably be the car crash god sequence. damn son <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I'll let you take that one away. It was in the trailer, so I knew it was coming, and they kept the entire thing in the trailer, which I wish they didn't do, because holy mother of shit, if that was not one of the coolest goddamn car crash scenes I've ever seen Mm -hmm. in my fucking life. Her lack of injury afterward, completely unaddressed. (laughs) She's counting herself down, going five, four, three two, one, and that's like her knowing that it's not real, you yeah. know? She's so she sees, doing like a self-affirmation type thing. Yeah, so what causes the car crash is she sees her dead younger sister yeah. standing in, in the middle of the road, and she's seen her in random places a couple of times before this point, like kind of just standing off to the side, and in this particular sequence, she's standing dead in the middle of the road, and I guess maybe when she was a kid, she would count down... I guess maybe to try to will away the uncle. Yeah. I'm not really sure because um, they don't establish that either what the countdown's for, but it's clearly her trying to recenter herself and uh, will away the things that are like. It's an exercise you her. learn in therapy. Yeah. Is like when you start having a panic attack, if you see something, you know, try to ground yourself to the immediate moment by taking control of time. Yeah, and she does not hit the brakes, does not slow down. Like, it's still a full speed driving towards this body that's in the middle, like, upright standing in yeah. the middle of the road. And she knows in her mind it's not real. And she tries to count it down to make it go away. And it does not go away. And she realizes it, like, two feet before she's about to hit this little girl. Slams the brake. The car does Swerves. this crazy goddamn thing. Does a full-blown rollover. We go in the car in slow motion as mm-hmm. she's realizing that she's in an accident as she's upside down. Yeah. And Kristen's been in a rollover. I've never been in a rollover. A Did rollover? it feel something like that? Um, for me... Because my accident, I was going like 70 around a bend hydroplane. I hit a pole on the uh, driver's side. I lost control. So I was just staring out at a farmer's field that felt really slow. Yeah. And then I hit it, but I never went upside down. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, honestly, a little bit for me. Um, what I like about this sequence is she's done this countdown and she swerves to miss the girl. And the car's already actively rolling and she's holding on to the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has this very peaceful look on her face for like a few moments as the car's like just continuously rolling and then we have this moment where she's registered what's happening, and she, her arms are, like, flailing around yeah. now. And then um, we dive back into the speed from the outside perspective. To ta, 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 yeah. ta, ta, ta. So, <laughs> for me, when I had my rollover, um, I was not on a flat surface. I rolled my car down a very steep mm-hmm. embankment. Um, and to some extent, yeah, it was like that. Like, I remember hitting... A patch of black ice that threw me off the road and there was this weird like I felt like I was rolling for way too long and I think I definitely had to I like remember it in snippets so again kind of doing the freeze frame yeah Yeah, doing the freeze frame of the crime sequence is pretty accurate um I must have been holding on to the steering wheel still myself because I have a scar on my hand where the roof of my car caved in on top of me and the glass um of my windshield cut my hand open so i must have still been holding on to the steering wheel when it happened and like i i remember having this sense of the car has been rolling for forever and then when the roof caved in because i hit a a tree on the way down Mm -hmm. and the tree caved the roof in on top of me i remember 
it's almost like it sped up after that, like the car caved in on top of me. I felt something hit my head and then everything went black. And went, Boom. Yeah, and I'm it back. felt <laughs> Yeah, and it, it it felt like everything sped back up again. And then by the time I got out of the car it was like I don't even know what just happened. Yeah. So, it's that weird psychedelic state of the near death experience mm-hmm. where it's like I was crazy calm as it was happening yeah no i like even when i got out of the car which brett and i have talked about this before whenever i got out of the car i hadn't registered what had happened to me yet so i stood up out of the car and was like looking around it was really quiet because it was the middle of the night there were like dogs barking in the distance and um i remember just feeling something warm and wet like running down my face yeah i was like oh what's that and i reached up and touched it reach out and (laughs) Uh, pulled my hand back down to look at my hand and it was completely covered in blood. And then I remember like, like it was really far away. Like it sounded like it was like back up the hill. I had just rolled down like this whining sound, almost like a dog that was like in distress, like this just weird, uncomfortable whining sound. And like it lasted for like a few minutes and I was like, what is happening? And then I I, like finally caught back up to the moment and realized I was screaming and the sound was me. So, yeah, kind of weird, like, out of body, like, everything's slow and off, and then it kind of speeds up, and then you're like, I don't really know what just happened. I was uh, dating a girl at the time of the accident. She was in the vehicle. Uh, We were both sober. She'd been watching a film over at my mom's house with me, and we'd ordered a pizza, so the pizza showed up late. We ate. I went to drive her home. I got in the accident. And I, I I don't... I haven't talked to her in years, so I don't want to say her name on here. Um, But after it was over, all she remembered was mid-slide at 70 miles an hour (laughs) toward this pole. I looked at her and I said, get down. She said, what? And I grabbed her head and I pushed it down between her legs because there was no airbag on her side of the car. So I held her head down. I hit the pole, my head hit the fucking thing, and we both were able to just walk out of the fucking car. Like, there was so much information flooding into my brain. Mm -hmm. I knew where we were going to hit the pole. And apparently just looked over at her and was like, nope. (laughs) Fight or flight response. We're not dying in this bastard, (laughs) but we hit the pole and the the barbed wire of like a farmer's fence was on the windshield and both the windows were rolled down. So the windshield was bent out to where you could just stick your finger out and hit the fucking barbed wire. And we missed an electric box by about six inches. So we were, (laughs) where we landed was just like where God decided to plant me that day. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, the paramedics said that uh, about me too. Like, uh, basically God was there, even though I'm not religious. Um, Well, I believe we're all God. I believe that we control our own lives. And there's a reason that I hit that pole and didn't die. And a reason you rolled down that hill and didn't die. So technically God was there. My car, uh, what finally stopped my car from moving was I got wedged in between two trees and they were like, um, my airbags in my car did not work. (laughs) So they were like, yeah, you're lucky you survived. (laughs) Um, Welcome to the real world, jackass. Back to this movie. That was a a good aside. (laughs) The Um, realist. So where did we go wrong, Kristen? Uh, I just... I'll save the big one for last, but there's there's a lot of 
we got lost along the way moments for me. Um, the characters are pretty inconsistent. Like yeah. we established, like I said earlier, this kind of shit dick dad figure. Shit dick dad. Who, like, ends up being a pretty alright other than he abandons her husband and father. Like, she's trying to choke her own daughter and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, his character, super inconsistent. Her character, I just don't super relate to her on an emotional level. Like, she, she, even when we're kind of discovering how traumatic everything is, seems kind of an absent emotional character. Just blank. Yeah, yeah. so, like, I, I feel like for kind of unfolding this trauma, maybe we should have upped, like, her response a bit instead of she's just, like, absently choking her own daughter and then, like, oh, shit, my bad. They mean to do that. Yeah, and, like, not a lot of response to seeing ghost figures. Um, not a lot of response to discovering your uncle is a pedophile. Um, not a lot of response to a car crash. Yeah. As far as, you know, makeup design or... Weird spontaneous amnesia that immediately goes away yeah. on its own. I bounced my dome off my fucking driver's side window. My back was killing me. I, I, I thought I was going to die. My, my top concern was get all of the weapons out of the trunk of my vehicle and put them in the trunk of my mom's vehicle. That's the night mom found out that I was smoking. Because I got, in, I got in the car after the cop left, and I just pulled out a cigarette and lit it in her car. And she goes, what do you think you're doing? And I was like, it's mine, it's not yours, and are you really going to yell at me about it right now? <laughs> but, like, there's weird fake-outs in this movie, too. For whatever reason, the father's uh, section of the photo is ripped out, even though he wasn't the perpetrator. Yeah. Um, the ghosts are not particularly violent except for one instance where she gets attacked in a closet that we never address again but then supposedly the ghosts kill the uncle at the end um, apparently they've reached otherworldly levels of madness yeah there's this uh, they are benevolent ghosts though to uh, Jane well the one little girl like attacks her that one night oh that's right so inconsistent yeah again. Yeah, so that like I, we never really established what that's about. Like, she for whatever reason attacks her in the closet, and then we're just chill after that. <laughs> um, and there's kind of an assumption, weirdly, at the end that the ghosts have been trapped in this house, although the dad definitely left the house. Yeah, that's <laughs> the that's the major part that bothered me is like he's able to disappear he's able to go you know places yeah and i guess technically the mom is too because she sees her mom at the antique shop so yeah just kind of weird inconsistencies in that level uh your favorite the long shots uh, i hope no can I, yeah no the fucking you're gonna have to explain it because i i i know that it's wrong but for the life of me outside of trying to explain it in terms of sentences, I don't know if it's going to come across right. So, like, a strong paragraph has one long sentence. You know, like, 14, maybe, you know, 12, 14 words. 
no two sentences are the same word length. I know it sounds anal as shit. That's why I get paid a lot of money to edit shit when I edit shit. <laughs> but it should have a flow like music has a flow. You mm-hmm. wouldn't want to just hit the bass and go ba wa 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 it gets boring if you do that every fucking 10 seconds. There's a reason that Led Zeppelin says, fuck it, let the guitar run. Give us chaos and then slow us down and then give us chaos and then slow us down. And I know how to do that with writing. I Fiction, not necessarily screenplays. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to learn how to avoid the mistakes that were made in this film. Uh, In my own screenplays, I have a lot of lingering shots. Um, But you you use a lingering shot for emphasis. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that certain films have like a a five-minute one scene. You know, Quentin Tarantino's uh, Inglorious Bastards, where the Jews are underneath the floorboards, the Polak is talking to the Nazi, and you don't leave that room for ten minutes. Yeah. Um, so with long takes, it's ever-evolving as we evolve as people, um, and with the invention of social media and smartphones and stuff like that, our attention attention spans are that much shorter, but, um, conceptually when you're making a movie, the human brain is only wired to be entertained for so long, and I, I think modern films now the standard is basically, I think, three to five seconds per shot. It's incredibly short. Yeah, you have to... Yeah. So, even if you're in the same scene, you're cutting between the characters talking, you're cutting between the imagery in the room, like, the attention span that humans are willing to keep, like, watching and be entertained is extremely short. So, whenever... It's like that Morgan Freeman documentary where we watched and they went and visited the monkeys Mm -hmm. and they tried to give them a puppet show and the monkeys were like, fuck that. (laughs) So, so when you do a longer take, like, the purpose of the long take is to either typically, like, reveal something or create some kind of sense of unease or, you know, something along those lines. Or to relieve tension. Yeah. Um... So, in horror movies, like, let's say Halloween, for instance, if a shot lingers for a while, like, sometimes there's shit going on in the background, like, you see Michael in the background, and the intention of lingering on this shot is, once a shot hangs for a little too long, you stop paying attention to the main focal point, so if there's a person in the foreground speaking or doing something, and they've been on screen for you know, 10 seconds or more at this point, your eyes start to look around the rest of the scene to see what else is going on because you've lost interest in the main focal point. And then you move something. Yeah, so then you see... Around the 15-second point where it's like, oh, no, I'm looking at that bird, and then you flutter something to the left where the audience is maybe studying the right. So, in general, you move something because the audience has now started started analyzing the rest of the scene, and they pick up on this thing that's happened in the background, or you startle them by this thing that's happened Hmm. in the background or whatever um when you do a long take and nothing happens like the reason it makes most people uncomfortable is because your eyes have started scanning the scene and you're expecting something else to happen or you're looking for something else of interest but nothing has changed in the scene it's like when i got up because she was like i'm gonna go outside and i was like i'm gonna go grab a beer and you're like should i pause it i was like let me know if she does anything else except stare at shit. Bye! 
But, but <laughs> the point of scenes like that, if you use them in moderation and use them at effective points in a movie, is that you're then making your audience feel uncomfortable. If literally nothing is happening, happening except we have this close shot of the character staring at the camera, we start to feel uncomfortable because we're like, something else should be happening, something no. else should be going on. Like, I'm used to this go, 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 and now we're lingering and nothing else is happening, so you start to feel uncomfortable. Like, there's this expectation of something happening that isn't happening. It's like the still shot to the film that I always call back in No Country of Old Men. After he's killed... Um, for Old Men. Do what? No Country for Old Men. You said of Old Men. Oh, No Country <laughs> for Old Men. I'm sorry, I drank twice as much as I normally drink on these things. It was a very long day. Um, the shot in No Country for Old Men, at the very end, um, before he gets hit by the car, but after he's killed the wife. You remember that scene? Mm -hmm. uh, they have the conversation, and she goes, um, he, he, he offers the coin toss, she berates him for that, he has a funny retort, and then we're kind of hung with just those two. You don't see her die to preserve her innocence once again. So it transitions from that um, to a wide shot of the house being quiet. There's no sound, mm -hmm. but you know she's being killed inside. And you hang there for maybe 10 seconds before Shigar walks out of the front door of the house. And so you're staring at it and you're going, are we going to see a death scene? Is somebody going to interrupt this? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And then he walks out into a peaceful neighborhood and it's never addressed what happened inside of that house. Yeah. So yeah, like when you use long takes effectively, they do kind of create these compelling moments with this movie it is a lot of shots of her just staring at shit and yeah. the payout is never anything of interest it's like oh she's decided to finally open this package and big surprise there's a weird gift for her or somebody interrupted her and she's startled back into the moment like there's no her only smart move in this movie is when she's in the haystack maze and she, she just pushes <laughs> the fucking haystack out of the way. Yeah, there's there's no really compelling moments for any of these long shots except like the scenes where the bodies, you know, at the end are dying, like yeah. the mother's blood or the father's blood, and we get this long moment of her unconscious before she sound, finally registers. She's laying in a pool of her father's blood and. You know, that's kind of a cool moment. So if we had reserved it for just those scenes, those scenes would have meant more. Um, the use of them so frequently throughout the movie just kind of slows down the pacing of the movie as a whole, which is a huge Kills product. your fucking momentum. Yeah, huge problem with this movie is, like, we start out so strong, and, like, in the end we kind of come back for a bit, but, like, there's just so much in the middle that's just fat and doesn't have mm -hmm. to be there. That. that was the note that I wrote down uh, as we were talking earlier. This should have been a short film. This should have been a 45-minute film. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I would have... I don't know. I think there's probably something that could have been reworked here, and it still could have been a feature-length movie. I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of horror movies that are only an hour 20 minutes, so it could have even just been an hour 20. There's just... A lot of issues that don't get addressed and a lot of fat added in the middle that we don't need. So it, it just, it comes on so strong and I was like, this is like a great opening. Like, why is this movie rated so poorly? And then we like slam on the brakes aggressively and it's like, oh, okay. That's why. Yeah. <laughs>
It's a bummer. You sprinted right off the line. You got way too anxious for the first quarter mile. You couldn't finish the mile. (laughs) And the ending isn't really any big payout, like, ultimately. Like, I called it before we got to the end of the movie that Justin Long's character was probably her dead father. I wasn't sure initially whether or not her father had been the perpetrator, but I assumed the uncle was definitely a possibility, and of course the uncle mm. ends up being the rapist in the family. The ghost. I thought Justin was going to be a brother that got written off. Yeah. Um, but the ghost figure of Justin does ultimately end up just being her dad, who's kind of drug her back to this home for absolution, and we don't get absolution as a viewer. It's like, mm. I saw that coming... And there's no cool twist at the end. There's no, like, healing moment for, like, any of these characters. It's basically just she drags her uncle's body into the ghost room, and the ghosts, I'm assuming, kill him. Yeah, the breadcrumbs are technically there, but it's with all the long shots, you've had all this time to think because you're not being stimulated. So you've you've had time to think it through. You know, you're like, oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. You know. And, like... Even them leaving the daughter with the uncle, like when the father finally returns and the daughter's not immediately in the scene, I was like, oh, he left his daughter with the uncle and now we're going to have to go fight that battle. Like, it was, like, all very obvious, like, and for the end to just be, oh, they got their payback on the uncle and good for them is disappointing to say Yeah, I didn't hate the uncle enough until the last half hour. Well, I don't even mind necessarily that the uncle ultimately got his payback. It's just all it is is they drag him into a room and then we get perspective shots of the ghost under the bed, the ghost in the closet, you know, and him looking afraid and him begging her to let him out and her just walking away. And it's like, you know, technically that makes you a killer. Yeah. And I mean, there's no, no satisfaction to the ending for it to have been so obvious what was coming. I can't get no <laughs> satisfaction. <sighs> Do you have any closing thoughts, my love? I, I think conceptually, when you have an interesting idea, sometimes realistically which I don't know how long they worked on this movie sometimes realistically you have to sit with that idea for longer than you want to sit with that idea Mm -hmm. to develop it in a way that it deserves like this is honestly in my opinion a pretty interesting premise that started out really strong and then tried to make its comeback in the end and my assumption is they probably filmed the crime scene stuff both the ending and the beginning around the same time frame and pitched it Or even if they didn't pitch it, if this all just happened after, you know, they were shooting the movie, those sequences, because they were the same actors in the same location, the same wardrobe and all that, were probably shot relatively around the same time. And whether it was at the beginning of production or the end of production, it was where they had the most momentum and somewhere in there they lost it. And it was a pretty cool premise and there were some kind of cool like themes in here that could have really been developed and I, I think the most tragic thing about films is that to save money they're often rushed like it, most movies are made in a couple of weeks you know feature length films 
And Brett and I, on our short films, usually spend at least a couple of days making a movie that's four minutes. So yeah. if that gives you any kind of perspective of how long it takes to shoot that kind of footage, you, you could literally waste hours and only have five minutes worth of footage at the end of the day. And almost every book you've written, if it's a one-off author, that probably took them ten years yeah. to write that fucking novel. Like, yeah, <laughs> like... Any artistic work, for the most part, takes a whole lot of time to develop, and like films are rushed through to try to save money. And you know, I, every movie I've ever worked on, or a TV show, or whatever, like I said, it's all shot in like a day or two or a week or two, and then kind of just shoved along. And then you know, it spends some time in post production. But like, if you have an idea that's honestly an interesting and compelling idea, like the move is not rush this through like the move is let's sit with this and if this moment doesn't quite feel right we've got to figure out why and we've got to develop this and like this was a movie that started out with a really cool premise and ended up just being another ghost movie and I, I feel like to be honest it got lost along the way because it was probably just pushed through to be finished and what a tragedy to treat your own work of art that way. Like, let's just finish this. Especially if you're producing it. Like, I get it. I come too quick sometimes. <laughs> it's a joke. But I'm sitting on, like, three novels that I've been trying to hammer through. And a screenplay. I'm trying to write a television series. I sometimes you just have to admit when you it's not done it, it it's not where it needs to be when it is it'll be incredible but for the love of god don't give up on it just fucking sit there i think you're right i think this person had an affinity for the long shot the way that i have or had an affinity for the semicolon you know and the m dash <laughs> put those bitches everywhere Throw them everywhere in a rough draft. Don't throw them everywhere here. This is not the right arena. Long shots. You could have made the short film. Could have made it the shorter film. <laughs> but I'm proud of them because they went to Tribeca. And I'm <laughs> drunk and I'm ready to cook dinner for my beautiful wife. So... Um, I would like to urge anybody uh, who has any commentary on this particular film, especially if you worked on it at any level, to send us an email at... Nightmareboxproductions at gmail. And that's also where you can uh, buy the book for now. Uh, you can do that either through that, where if you send me $10, I'll sign you a thing, and um, I'll send it to you, even if it's a loss for cash. Um... Or you can hit us up on Twitter at... At NightmareBoxPro. Or Instagram at... At NightmareBoxProductions. Or hit that fucking Facebook. <laughs> Facebook.com slash NightmareBoxProductions. Or you can go to YouTube.com slash Kristen Pennington. And you can see Kristen's early work. Or you can go on over to our conjoined work at YouTube.com slash... NightmareBoxProductions. Where you can see the dolls. You can see Happy Birthday. You can see the one that we're working on right now. Um... Is that everybody? The website. The website. That you're eternally forgetting. <laughs> uh, the nightmare box stop vlog. 
Uh, and over there, you can see behind-the-scenes footage. You can also see uh, the dolls and Happy Birthday. You can read the scripts for uh, things that we're working on, a couple of short stories, uh, shit like that. Uh, eventually, when PayPal wants to stop beating my ass, um, the book will be back up over there. But I'm going to go make my beautiful wife some dinner. And I... Um, I'm going to revel in the fact that a week from now, when you guys hear this, COVID-19 is a thing of the past. Donald Trump is no longer our president. He's not sending federal authorities to kill everybody in Chicago. And it's just like 1997, gang. Just like 1997. Boy can drink. Love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we'll talk to you on Friday. You know what beer does for me? What? It helps heal all this pain. All this pain. In your head, shoulders, knees, and toes? In my head. Shoulders? Knees and toes. Oh, I got serious pain that needs medical attention in my lower back. Lower back.